I'm so delighted to have this opportunity, David, to have a dialogue with you and to share some of the things I've been wanting to ask you and explore with you since we first met a few years ago at the Course in Miracles conference in London, where I spotted you. We were both speakers at that conference and I immediately felt a resonance and a recognition and a parallel and a desire to explore that in some dialogue. And so here we are with um, both of us having new books out, yours called This Moment is Your Miracle and mine called The Way of Grace. And um, it's a joy to be here with you. Mm, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I think these moments come along where you can, you have this feeling in your heart, like, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be helpful? Wouldn't that be exciting to have a, a dialogue and to just call on the spirit and uh, it brings in the nuances. That's why I, uh, I like dialogues and I, I like to collaborate and I like to be aware of, of those that are really into the presence and the experience of grace and, and, and living in presence. And, uh, you know, there's a recognition when you meet someone and you feel it immediately and you can feel the devotion, really the devotion is so palpable. And uh, that was my experience when we first kind of synchronistically just happened to sit down next to each other in the front row as we're listening to some of the speakers. And then it was just like an ongoing uh, opening. But I I felt such a very, very strong uh, recognition at the beginning, like, oh, I know you. I know you. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So I'm just curious. It seems that you've been walking the path for many years as have I and you know what prompted you to pen this book now and what was your intention in bringing it to the world well a lot of the teachings and the things that I've done have just been shared uh more in audio visual I people would say you know you're like a talking mystic and I said yeah I I love the silence but I I am very willing to be spoken through uh, if it if it brings a blessing. And so, uh, as I mentioned to you when I first met you, it's just been so many travels to so many countries and I guess around and around around the world over six continents over uh, decades, actually. And then um, I felt like Jesus had told me, you know, freely you have received, now freely give. And so basically, pretty early on, people started recording the dialogues and the satsangs and the gatherings and sessions, and then I would put them out on the internet. And, uh, and then I was more just like a traveling, talking mystic, uh, not so much into books or uh, writing books or authoring books or anything like that. And then people began um, transcribing. Uh, the talks, uh, like when Krishnamurti or so forth would go and share. Yogananda did a lot of uh, traveling and talks and speaking. And then thankfully we have recordings and then transcribers and transcriptions. And, you know, you can feel the presence just, you know, coming behind the words. It's so strong. But actually I was approached uh, 
by a couple people, and, and one of them was from New Harbinger. Uh, name, his name was Ryan, and then uh, I had been to Colorado and spoken with uh, the people over in Sounds True, and and you, I think you had mentioned to me that you were also approached by New Harbinger. So I thought, here we go again. We have all these parallels. <laughs> but well, um, companies are real specialists in bringing what I think of as kind of quality spiritual teachings. Yeah. You know, into form for people and you know that they're both really impeccable in that way so very happy to be yeah sounds true family and i know the new harbinger family is really great too but i'm curious i was taking a little look at your book and i was really loving some of the language i was finding there where you talk about the miracle moment and the way you the way you language your teachings is, is very fresh and clear and clean. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm kind of wondering yeah, like, how that developed for you. Was that something that came through sharing this with people or were there just insights that arose in your own awakening process? I think it it was just my willingness to be like, spoken through and not just spoken through i love meeting people and hugging people and i love the laughter and i love the the face-to-face encounters uh just being used as an instrument and then it became very natural for me in the sense that i i could feel like a surrender or a let go like you talk about that i said oh my gosh this is it i don't have to do anything i I just have to feel all this joy and and just let it come through. And then the languaging uh, came through and it seemed to have a real down-to-earth quality to it. I think from all those holy encounters, like thousands and thousands of holy encounters of just letting myself be spoken through in a way that would bless the the giver and the receiver, so to speak, in the miracle. We everyone must be blessed. So from that kind of like miracles are involuntary, just jumping into that involuntary nature and letting the spirit choose the words, um, then the languaging seemed to evolve. And then this book is is kind of designed to uh, be very broad reaching. You know, I know with your book too, the languaging is so wonderful because we have uh, even people who endorse the book come from such a wide range from everything for me, from quantum physicists to people that are in religion or Eastern, you know, that's kind of a testimony to that we don't really box ourselves in too much with the languaging because the the experience is so important to us and so i think that's how the languaging yeah i i that's a very clear decision that i made a number of years ago was to do my best to speak in a way that was accessible to people because the work on grace and the possibility to you know, really let go completely and have every last corner of your life be lit, lit with the luminous presence to really come alive in awake awareness is something that I feel very strongly 
wants to be made available for everyone, not just a select few. And so I want to just kind of backtrack a little on some of the language you use today when you say Jesus, what you mean. And so I know that those who are Course in Miracles students, that would be fine by them, but those who aren't Course in Miracles students might automatically be assuming, oh, you're some kind of evangelical Christian or something, which I have to <laughs> Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a challenge to, you know, speak from our experience and we all have a cosmology and lineages that have that we've come up out of and that are central. Um, and yet language itself can be a real challenge when what the important thing is is pointing people into direct experience and the, the infinite possibility of everyone to experience grace the living presence of what we all really are and the miraculous truth of, you know, of existence. Yeah. 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 So people towards, yeah, share our experience, but it's an invitation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I find that the, the languaging will come out in so many different ways. Uh, as I travel, and uh, if somebody had a, a, like a camera or a little bird's eye view on me, they would just laugh because as I'm traveling with Buddhists or with Christians or Hindus or atheists, they would see how much fun um, I have with, with, uh, with, athe- with everybody. And, the, and interestingly enough, um, you asked me about Jesus. To me, it's a, it's a very deep connection to that non-dual presence. And uh, Jesus is just an example, but many things have been done in the name of Jesus. Uh, In fact, I think of, we met in Europe, and I think of, uh, I always laugh with people and I talk about, I say, well, the Crusades, the stuff of killing Muslims in the name of Jesus, and then the the Spanish Inquisition. I, I just watched a Robin Hood movie, and it was back in the time of the Crusades, and I said, this is why there's such a huge resistance uh, when when the ego misuses words, even like Jesus or Holy Spirit, in the name of manipulation, control, uh, pride, um, all kinds of domination, and even slaughter. You can see where after decades or centuries of misuse, how people would be very turned off uh, by those symbols. So I, I find that the Spirit will just speak through me depending on who I'm with and who I'm speaking to. And then uh, one of uh, my articles recently got onto a, a Thrive uh, magazine, and, and Ariana uh, Huffington wrote to me and said, Oh, how delightful, uh, because I was using so many symbols in the Thrive article of me meeting a, Native, a family of a Native American man and uh, the the father, the mother was raised Catholic, and the son was like most teenagers, uh, wanted nothing to do with Catholicism or Native American. And I was using the matrix terms with Morpheus and Trinity and Neo, and he lit up. And I think Ariana just loved it so much because in one article, I was using so many different uh, languaging uh skills and metaphors that 
They were all loving and inclusive and concluding we really need to, to love everyone. We can't, we can't split hairs over theology, over uh, cultures, over background, or even words. Uh, and that's been what I feel is the most important thing, just to feel that presence of love and not uh, let any differences uh, come in, in our way. Yeah. And, I, you know, someone who spent 10 years in England, you know, creating and leading an interfaith seminary where I was training people to be you know, non-denominational ministers and spiritual counselors because in that country, you know, there wasn't at that time and still isn't a separation between church and state, meaning there wasn't many options for, you know, being able to have deeper conversations when we need to or being able to have someone facilitate some ritual for us in a non-denominational context that, um, you know, we also need to approach differences from a deeper non-dual understanding. Whereas when we really relax into what I call an integrated non-dual view, we see that there's only one fabric, you know, that existence and everything and everyone in existence is made of the same divine fabric that we might call God or unity, but that in that divine fabric, there are multiple displays, multiple forms, multiple beings, and incredible diversity. And that that diversity is not necessarily a problem, actually, it can be very beautiful. So I find it really lovely to recognize that we don't have to stamp out difference, so we can appreciate difference when we understand that we're all part of one divine fabric of being and that there is infinite uniqueness in everything that is displayed that can enrich us and help us to learn more, see more, expand more, appreciate more, you know, discover more of what and who we really are. Yeah. I so appreciate you sharing that because I I do remember my first trips up to New York City, which is such a, like London, such a hodgepodge and meeting, you know, John Monday and Diane Burke and Interfaith Seminary. And that all just resonated with me. And, and also because of all the travels, I was constantly getting invited to synagogues, to ashrams, to a huge array of things and just following the spirit, like riding the wave of that and seeing these sparkly eyes and these glowing faces and these big warm hugs and and just feeling so grateful like i i wish everybody could kind of rise up out of their their family system and their cultural system and just even take one trip around the world uh to to see what i was seeing and to feel what i was feeling because it was so embracing and i did see that yeah the differences uh were something that even those symbols the spirit was using uh, in the languaging that was coming through, it was very involuntary. And I just actually love that so much because Jesus tells us in the course, he's saying that we a good translator will keep the content the same and will shift and change the form to preserve the content. And if the content is love, then we just have to be so involuntary and just show up and let that love just pour through us and 
And I was even quite surprised at the words uh, that were coming out sometimes because uh, I didn't feel like I was the one, David wasn't choosing them. It was just, I was being blessed and everybody was being blessed by the words. And I was amazed at listening to the words that were even coming out. But I, I just love that kind of that expansive, eclectic, uh, all-encompassing feel, you know, that, that uh, we don't have to be afraid of, of differences at all. Right. Well, you know what you were saying there about when you experience just being an instrument, you know, I, my languaging for that is being a grace delivery device. And I think well, that's what we actually are. You know, when our ego is sufficiently melted, relaxed, you know, so there's a sense of transparency. We're not attached to a particular image or to what we do or to what we think. We're not defending what we do, what we think, what other people think of us. So that's not a concern. Then there's this presence, this defenselessness that is there and a spontaneity and a fluidity and a naturalness to what we share and how we share it that is completely effortless. And certainly that's my experience whenever I teach and it deepens over the years and the more I rest in being nothing and no one, which is not a put down, it's just that depth of relaxation in remembering I'm not the doer of anything and I never have been. And in that there's such peace and total cessation of struggle and effort that in that there's a, a an intensification of in this momentness, which you write about a lot, because you literally are fully here, not in your thoughts or your memories, not referencing a self-concept or an image. And so there's a spontaneous availability and a freedom to let the living nectar express itself in the way that it wants to in that very moment. That will be fresh if we're willing to be that open and that undefended. I think that's really the key. Mm. You know, yeah. um, to be that naked, to rest empty yeah. of our construct, yeah. opinions, our beliefs, even our cherished spiritual concepts, and just keep coming and coming and coming again, holy empty hands unto God. Yeah, it's interesting. That what you're saying is reminding me of the, the beginning of your book in chapter one, where you you talk about uh, being in that cave in India and, and that transmission, that thunderous, expansive transmission. And just just in looking at that again today, and just going down, I could I could just feel the the depth and the strength and the expansiveness of that. And and I I like it that when we talk about I just did a retreat uh, this past weekend called Undoing the Doer, and I was just sharing the the same ideas when we rest in that place of of not trying to have an agenda or a future goal or a, a self concept or an image to present how delightful it is, and so it's like to me you're just describing this this vertical alignment 
that is so different than the horizontal script. I Sometimes I call human beings on the timeline are like uh, linear preference packages. And then I love that uh, grace delivery devices. <laughs> you, we go from per, linear personal preference packages to grace delivery devices. Isn't that fun? What a delightful way to look at it. You know, it's possible because I think our bodies, our hands, our heart, our mind, all of the faculties that we tend to think of as ours but don't actually belong to an ego, right? It's part of the vessel for communication, you know, and the choice is ours whether we want to contract that vessel into a me and a my and then just sort of, sort of, battle through life from the familiar perspective of a self that was put together in the first five years of life. To, you know, really be curious about, you know, what is this vehicle? You know, what's what's it capable of? You know, and so in the same way, you know, Ramana says something that I really love, you know, when someone asked him, you know, how... Uh, you talk a lot about non-doing, just being, and the, the, the person asking the question said, but I see you doing rather a lot. What are you talking about? Letting doing happen from being. And he said this. He said, just as if you open up a transistor radio, you notice that the radio sings and speaks, but if you physically open it up, you'll find there's no one inside. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> that's right. great. So there's this, okay. you know, this emptying out process that you describe as bringing everything to the light of awareness, and I do too, that is very much a theme in terms of how transformation, purification actually happens. Course in Miracles mentions this, but it's not new. You know, it was mentioned in the Bible and Ephesians where St. Paul said everything exposed to the light will itself become light. And so I think that is such an important thing for us all to understand that our part in the vehicle becoming grace delivery device, becoming available to just transmit all sorts of truth and beauty and grace and goodness and higher qualities our part in it is to expose our unconscious beliefs, our ego strategies, our fear, our hurt, our control, our trauma, our anxiety, our insecurity, to just expose it all, which takes a lot of courage, you know, yeah. but that's the work. And then once we've exposed yeah. it, to try and rearrange or fix it, just to let the mystery of grace or the Holy Spirit to you know, weave its, weave its magic through our being, which it does every time. We will do the work of exposing. Yeah. Yeah, I find it's, it's quite amazing when we open up to spirit in the way that we've done and there's such deep presence. And of course, um, both you and I have been, really looked into the 
the history of spirituality, you know, we've we've been curious, like little children, uh, looking at the traditions. Uh, I when I think of us, I think of uh, actually uh, those ten characteristics of teacher of God, starting with trust, followed by honesty, consistency. But the last one is open mindedness, yeah. and Jesus says it's, that's why it's the last because it's it tends to come in out of all those traits and. And I think if you just look at, at our languaging, at uh, us talking on one hand about uh, Rumi or Nizakadatta or Ramana or Jesus, uh, it flows. And, and the great Indian saints, the huge traditions there, um, it's a very natural to us because, uh, because we've been curious and we've been very open-minded uh, and flexible. And I find, too, that we both feel how central grace is, we see the value of stillness and rest and silence and surrender. But both of us, interestingly enough, having dealt with the Course, a pathway that has nine chapters on dedicated to relationships, that, that we see that as the crucible. We see that as the practicality. We see that as uh, not just running to the Himalayas and and spending 10, 12, 15 hours, but we see the, the, the speed up, the acceleration of allowing that mechanism uh, to be used by the Spirit. And so I find uh, even when we met, you know, we were talking, and, and, and then when I read your book, it, it kind of filled in a little more because uh, uh, I had a student many years ago who visited uh, you and Robert over there, and she came back from England, and she was glowing. Oh my God! I met the most two most amazing people, uh, Robert and Miranda, and and she was going on and on. And then when I met you, we talked, and, and then when I read the first chapter of your book about being in that cave um, in India, maybe around thirty six years old, and going through a divorce, and I, I just thought, there's the crucible. Because I I could feel like it, the, those nine chapters are saying, you know, you've come so close to perfect union and oneness with the source. You have one hurdle, and that's special relationship. And you're just so close. And, and for both of us, I think if anybody really read, if we had autobiographies, or they could really see the whole, the whole thing that we went through, that that it was actually the it was a cracking open. Uh, I know that was a point of devastation for you, yeah. and I've gone through that too. And and then suddenly I dropped after I cracked. <laughs> I dropped so deep, and I know you did too. And that's that's wonderful. I I really would like to hear. I'll about share that a little more you. about that because there are certain things that didn't that I kind of chose to leave on the cutting room floor when I was writing the book, and one of them was. And in part, for various reasons, you know, I thought some of it would be unnecessarily scary for people. But one of the things that, you know, I was feeling was two years prior to that awakening in the cave, I could feel a whole new level knocking on the inner door in my meditations. And I felt for a number of years like I was living on a, what I was sort of manifesting or living was about 20% of my capacity. Now, if I'd spoken that to someone, they would have said, you're crazy. Look at what you're doing. And, but I knew inwardly this, 
this wasn't my lifetime's work. You know, I had a task to do to set up this seminary, and, but I felt quite suppressed inwardly. And I could feel this whole other totality of surrender beckoning. And I would feel that knocking in my meditations as if I would almost disappear into a very deep void that we just sort of, I go just poof, you know. And I would notice myself just kind of pulling back from that threshold internally. And one point I even, you know, got curious, like how come I'm holding back? And I could recognize a fear that it might cost me my marriage if I let myself go there. Well, it did. And But there was this point in the cave where there was just no stopping it, you know. And it was after that that what had looked like a really wonderful marriage and had been a really wonderful marriage for 15 years started to come apart. And I remember just feeling, okay, what's needed is just to say yes. Wherever this is going, to trust enough to say yes. And I really understood deeply then why the importance of those characteristics of the teachers of God, that it always meant a lot to me and that so much of it hinges on our capacity to trust, so much of the possibility for another level of surrender or letting go really asks for that. Could we trust that the pulse of existence is loving goodness, that only wants what's best for us and that knows what's best for us and that we can completely yield to that, even though it might ask us to let go of something that is precious on an ordinary level. And so I was hearing in the middle of the night, you know, in those days, you know, I was praying, you know, help me to really see what the invitation is here so I can say yes. And I heard the same voice that spoke in the cave, ask me questions. And it was the who are you without questions. And it went through every single attachment that I had, starting with who are you without your marriage, who are you without your social standing, who are you without a home, who are you without this country, who are you without your friends. I mean, it did not mince around. There wasn't a single attachment that I wasn't asked who are you without that. And then finally, and I was journaling this, of course, at 2 a.m., who are you without Miranda? And as I was writing the M of my name, the pen ran out. (laughs) I know. I know, kind of, hey, I get it. This is like total let go into what I don't know, really. And it included letting go of the way I was holding A Course in Miracles. Could I even let that go? Could I let go of everything could I really come with holy empty hands unto God, including all my concepts of what God is, including all my concepts of what I think I am, all of my spiritual knowledge, all that had been accrued. And I really understood, not just conceptually, but like in my bones, in my gut, like, oh, that naked, that total, that defenseless, not a single thought or structure. So it was this amazing period of emptying out that went on for about two years. And now that I look back on that period of time, 
I see it as the most extraordinary training because there was nothing left and the only way to deal with everything was just to pray what's needed now in that moment and just do that, which meant being radically present and radically attuned and radically humble and radically yielded in and amidst tackling big things. And it was in that two years that something very foundational in me changed and my experience being in this world in a, from a very different platform inside. But it's such a blessing and provides so much capacity to share because I've looked into every, the, the things that scared me the most. And what I realized is there really is actually nothing to fear, which The Course of Miracles has been saying this whole time very simply, but you don't know it till you know it. Yeah, yeah. It's so helpful too. I know so it will be such a blessing as we, we share this uh, with the world because uh, so many write to me every day, every week for, for years, for decades about what they fear the most. And uh, what you've just described is, is just facing that with such grace and such surrender. And then I always like to, to uh, share with everybody as we come out the other side and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was so afraid of, of those things at all. Those were just attachments. It's we, we laugh. But, but also the sanghas you do, the satsangs, the gatherings I share, the presence that radiates through, and the beloveds, I know you have that same experience like I do, that, that call you to different parts of the world, that, that nurture you, that love you, that, that bring such caring, that they, they light up, that this is relationship transformed. This, these are reflections of a mind that is aligned with, with source. So the love, it just radiates out and the reflections are everywhere. And that's what I want people to know, that, that even though they can be frightened of losing something or frightened of abandonment or rejection, those are very common, that once you yield, uh, it's, it's not that experience at all. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. It's miraculous. I like to liken it to working with fear is like learning how to dive into a big wave in the ocean. In that on the way in, your entire instinctual body is going, run, you must be insane, right? Because it seems you are going to be completely annihilated by this liquid force that's a lot bigger than you. But you have to pluck up the courage, and it is courage to dive into the wave, right? And so the work is always on the way in, the way towards fear, turning towards our fear to see, okay, what is this really? You know, and that isn't just an intellectual thing. It has to happen in the heart. It has to happen somatically as well because you can't rationalize with fear. It's coming often from our survival instinct but to learn to go towards and then just be there without doing anything, just like when you dive into the way, once you've taken that action, you lay there and you relax. And it's a wonderful surprise. 
that big liquid force that seems so scary now rolls over you like a massage and you're just deeper in the ocean of consciousness. And it's no big deal. But it's the experience of learning to do that that helps us to become more robust, you know, so that we learn that nothing really can be destroyed. It's only our self-image that can be destroyed and that that's actually very good news. Yeah. That's a beautiful metaphor because I, it's bringing back the memory when I first went down to Florida and I first dove under my first wave in the, with the Atlantic Ocean and how surprising it was because like the current that just took me right under. I, I literally, when I dove down, I was literally carried through and under so quite swiftly. Yeah. And uh, and the contrast of letting one of those big things, like being in front of it and letting it crash over you <laughs> and hurl the body <laughs> back towards the beach, it's just an enormous contrast. Yeah. And I, I actually feel like the wave analogy is is good. It's kind of like for the whole spiritual journey, like if we keep riding just, if we're just very passive and we don't have the courage and we ride, we just keep being taken up and down and it's it's oh it, it can be like you're seasick but if you have that experience that you can dive under that you'll do it successively with when those waves come and you don't get smacked and you you learn to go underneath and be carried uh and, and it makes the journey quite joyful yeah well i think that's the difference in unnecessary struggle and engaging our true willingness and our devotion in the service of what's really asked of us, which, you know, Course in Miracles talks about cultivating the willingness, but Gurdjieff spoke about, about you know, recognizing the no force and the yes force, and that it really does come down to learning to say yes to what is asked of us. And that that is actually an engagement of what seems to be personal will but when we really look deeply, it's, 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 it's ultimately universal will because it's the nature of reality to know who and what we are. God wants to know itself. That's part of Vedic cosmology. Yeah. And in a way, that's yeah. their cosmology of how everything is, is that God wanting to know itself. So it's manifesting in all these forms so it can wake up and experience its nature and share and expand on its nature further and deeper into life. And it makes a lot of sense to me. But I wanted to circle back around about that, you know, when we go with what's asked of us, when we learn to say yes rather than no, when we move gracefully towards, you know, what's called of us, we receive so many blessings along the way. Like I couldn't have known in those days in England after, you know, the opening in Ramana's cave that set upon this huge period of undoing being stripped right back to the root, that a whole other level of relationship and marriage was waiting for me that's at a whole other level to the marriage that I enjoyed with Robert. So I've now been married. I, I met my husband, Bob Dugman, who's the teacher of the Diamond Approach, and in a way where my relationship to Robert kind of got to, this started at a higher platform and has continued there. And I really appreciate what you were saying about relationship, human relationship, because 
it's where we most get to see where we actually are. And we get to see our mind. Yeah. We get to see where those defences still get activated. We get to see where our self-centeredness lives, you know, where our lack of generosity might be, where we might still be manipulative, where our ego is hiding out in some way. And when we understand that, then we see that human relationships offer us such a powerful place in which to practice and in which to forgive ourselves as well as everyone else. And I find that beautiful and so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like going from, from an image of self into just huge gratitude for the mirroring that happens uh, kind of right up in your face, a very close mirroring, which actually some people would say, well, that's very intense. But I, I would say if, if your goal is to experience who you really are, that's what you would want. That would be the prayer of your heart right. to uh, help you see what was denied from awareness, what's been unconscious. Right. And to help you practice with one another. I don't know what you experience in your close relationships, but I notice as well that there are certain gifts that we bring to each other. And I contemplate the people I'm closest to, you know, my husband Bob and my close friends. There's often this sort of exchange of different qualities that they have that are quite different than the qualities or the things that have become very developed in me. And so there's a deepening and a broadening out that can happen and a a resolution of the self-centeredness and the spiritual ambition where we get to see it's not about you or me. It is about, you know, just more of God getting to live this vehicle more fully and freely and be generous, you know, in it all. And so I noticed that when, when... when something opens up in my husband, I feel such a sense of celebration. It's as if the sense of the location of it's happened in his heart or mine doesn't matter anymore. It's, yeah. And when yeah. someone's sitting in my satsang chair and they let go of something or a gate opens in them, I mean, that it's like Christmas for me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can relate completely to that. In fact, um, it's just kind of evolved now where I've, I've been doing almost like, uh, like kind of almost like online satsangs like uh, Muji does where uh, I'm on this intimate experience and there's a hundred plus beings sprinkled in the little sparks of light all over from Australia to Japan to Europe and all around. And then, and uh, oftentimes people think, well, it won't be quite the same digitally, but then the, the tears and the breakthroughs and we're all cheering each other on every month. And, and it's my heart just bursting with joy because uh, you can see, even when I get an email of someone saying, Oh, I'm in such a dark place now. And, you know, I wish I could come on and I said, come on. And then they come on and you see that crack of a smile that comes and my heart just burst open. You really feel like, wow, there's just one of us. Yeah. Here and it's so different from that old way of perceiving relationships. It's very different. I agree, and I, I also think it's one of the gifts of our time. And like you, I have been pleasantly surprised in the last five or six years. I've been doing a lot of online teaching through the Shift Network, and I 
you know, being someone who's always turned on the most, you know, what I want to give my life force to is helping people open into direct experience, you know, rubber meets road, you know, and I'm not so interested in just giving concepts because, you know, you can get them in a book, which is great, but it's not necessarily what's going to change your life, right? So I was unsure at first whether the transmission would get through on the online and I have been pleasantly surprised in the power of what is possible through this medium and the blessing of that that gives the possibility for people wherever they are in the world at little or no cost to become part of a global sangha, you know, to be connected. And I feel that there is no such thing as an individual awakening. You know, there's no such thing as your awakening separate to mine. We're going to come home together or not at all, you know, because awakening means that we evolve beyond just, you know, me and my, you know. So I think in that understanding, any way that we possibly can form spiritual friendship and community and help one another to engage and practice the better. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That just feels so good. And, and I know you're out in the Bay Area, San Rafael, so if I ever come out there, I have it just didn't work with my scheduling when I was out there, but I remember emailing you and we would try to work it out. And I'm down in, uh, in Mexico here, so it's, oh, it's, you know, and it's kind of like the, the California weather, very soft and, uh, and seems to be centers opening up and just like uh, with, with Ramana or with Yogananda. And when we just open up to be used, the, the signs of life spring up everywhere. You know, like the Course says, you know, in a desert, just the healing raindrops come down and then all of a sudden the signs of life are everywhere. So I really enjoy that too because it's like an invitation there. Even when we travel to, to know we have a beloved invitation to just go and be engulfed and embraced in that love and rejoice, absolutely rejoice at, the, at the, what the spirit is and what the spirit is, is extending. And to me, that, that feels so good. It, it doesn't feel like a big wide world anymore. It just feels like a huge invitation. And I'm always like jumping, jumping right in and, and loving to collaborate. Uh, I was at the lunch the other day and somebody wrote and said, oh, I'm, I'm on your online movie watcher's guide to enlightenment and I'm, oh my gosh, I'm watching movies with you and listening to your commentary. And, and she said, I have a, a program on, uh, it's called Quantum Conversations Podcast. Uh, would, you, would you collaborate with me? And I said, I would love to. <laughs> I just wait for those collaborative, you know, from the heart invitations of a where we have a recognition, where we feel the joy. And, and I'm not interested in concepts or proliferating anything in form or uh, anything like that, but I do love the heart, this way of the heart and, and feeling the grace so strong. You know, that's, that's my greatest joy. So this speaking with you is, uh, is just a mystic's delight. This is a mystic's delight. Well, I think that often, you know, we hear the word mystic and I would say I'm feminine, I'm a full-throttle feminine mystic and always have been, unapologetically so. But 
we're so used to thinking of mysticism as something that's sort of lofty and kind of airy-fairy, but, you know, what's surprising is that it's actually the most practical thing. You know, it's so practical in helping us to find a more graceful way to what I call walking the two worlds at the same time, to be on this earth from a consciousness that isn't bound by it, you know, to... Yeah. to be more elegant, to be more awake while we go about the ordinariness of our life, embracing the curriculum of our life for what it is, you know. And yeah. and I think that's something that I, I just wanted to say here because it, it really does help us to be yeah. you know, wiser and kinder and deeper and more real in the way we are at work, you know, kinder and more generous and more forgiving with our families, you know, kinder and wiser in how we navigate through, you know, tumultuous times. I mean, certainly my community in Sonoma have been, you know, really dealing with terrible wildfires the last few years and some members of my community have their houses burned to the ground and you know, for weeks here in the Bay Area, you know, we could hardly go outside. The air was so pervaded by thick smoke that anyone with frail health was basically having a really hard time. And so it's obvious that we are living in, you know, interesting times in this world. And we really do need spiritual truth and practice partners and sangha in order to ground ourselves deeply in that which is never rocked and doesn't change. So we can open our heart to, you know, what's here and respond with wisdom and compassion, you know, bringing the two worlds closer together because they're really not two worlds. They don't have to be. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I know if somebody met you for the first time, though, and knew nothing about anything about you, um, they would experience you as wise, as charming, as elegant, uh, because these are our characteristics and these are things that, that we've seen in, in many that have walked this earth. Uh, you know, I've, I've been graced by coming across, I mean, the first time I saw the movie Gandhi, uh, Richard Attenborough, I know mean, I was just floored. Uh, I just, something inside of me leaped up like, oh my gosh, that I, I want to give my life to that. Uh, and I, and I feel like that's the beauty of it, that, that, uh, we're just at a place now where the practical experience is everything to us and the concepts are nothing. So whether we're out at a diner, whether we're talking to somebody who's had their house burned down, one of the people in our uh, group uh, was was part of those wildfires in Canada, and and she said it's coming close, it's getting oh my there it goes my house is burned down. So the same kind of things that are happening in these very interesting times, but there's that love and that connection and support and nurturing that's there. And it doesn't really have anything to do with any of the the concepts or the categories of the world. I know if somebody met you, like like I sat down at a Course in Miracles conference and met you, but if they met you basically in any context imaginable, those 
characteristics and, and that presence and those attributes just, it, it just comes so naturally from you. Yeah. Uh, it's who you are and it can't yeah. be separated. I think that's what happens to us all when we've really been engaging very deeply with any authentic teaching that, and all authentic teachings really boil down to asking us to surrender. Will you yield out of your mind, out of your thoughts, out of your concepts, out of your defenses? Will you yield to that luminous presence, whether you want to call that God, the mystery, the void, emptiness, it really doesn't matter, but will you yield? And, you know, that takes so much courage. It takes dedication. It takes commitment. It takes trust. It takes humility. It takes a lot of important virtues. And we can see how all the classical spiritual traditions, East and West, have you know, understood that, that there is a need to cultivate certain attributes and virtues, but also that we'll let go and just be here and be open, you know, to what life or the divine or God is asking of us. And that as we let that happen, we become more truly noble. You know, our noble qualities start shining. And I like to think of it like, you know, if you, if you think of, you know, divinity or existence as like a matrix of infinitely connected window panes, and you and I and everything and everyone is a window pane of consciousness of God, we are literally an I of God, not just an I, but an I am I, right? <laughs> then the pain is to let the light shine through, but that, you know, we can see, you know, window panes can get pretty mucky. They can get boarded up. They can get occluded by so many things. And so there's always work to be done that involves dealing with whatever has eclipsed the light of our consciousness that inevitably has to do with hurts and heartbreaks and difficulties and things that didn't quite happen in the way we needed and traumas and sometimes micro traumas and sometimes big traumas and some of which seem to be people being mean to us and some of which we don't even know how they got there. They just happen to be there. Or sometimes it's just the way we've been constructed physiologically. But nevertheless, you know, the work is on bringing everything, exposing everything to the light and letting light itself clean up that window pane, which is a miraculous process, you know. It, it, yeah. it is miraculous as that happened. How did that happen? I seem to bring yeah. this, look at this, feel this. It was really difficult, but all of a sudden it's not a problem anymore. How did that disappear yeah. and take place? You don't know, but yeah. we can experience it. And it's so profound when we recognize the miraculous process of transformation and it's humbling. And we understand what our part is and what's not our part. Um, yeah. And then more of what we yeah. are shines, and it's a blessing for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to me I'm getting more and more aware of when in A Course in Miracles it's spoken that this world is backwards and upside down. And so things that I had viewed in my life as 
as challenges, as struggles, as devastations. Uh, now, with this higher perspective, uh, I just kind of have a bursting gratitude. And, and I, see, I, I see with my life and I see with your life the way our, our parables, our stories have gone, that, that um, like you starting off in Australia, and I, and I enjoyed hearing all the things you went through in Australia because that was like a whole thing of, you know, not quite fitting in. And I, I could, yeah, there, there. That's, yeah, yeah, I could see that. And then over to England and the interfaith thing and, you know, and then the huge crack open and then like feeling, oh my gosh, I haven't done my life's calling yet. Yeah, yeah, I could just relate. And then here now, and then with the Sanghas and and San Rafael and Sonoma County and all that area, you know, it's like, it's, there's a flowering happening. And you can just feel the blessing that, even when you were uprooted, we'll say, from Australia and then uprooted again and then the India experience. But, but that uprooting I see now is a blessing. Yeah, uh, at the time I was going through my uprootings, I didn't see it. Right. There's nothing but grace, really. And it's just yeah, that it yeah. like it because we always expect, you know, things to feel good and they don't always feel good. And so I'm always saying to my students, look, big part of the work is just staying in our body, staying present and feeling everything and recognizing that you're not going to die from just staying present and feeling everything. You, you know, all of it needs to be met with love. And if it's met with love, then what is true will shine forth more freely and what was never really true will dissolve and will be seen as an untruth, and then it does no power to hurt you. And what happens in the process of that is we become wiser and more compassionate in relation to the the human condition and everyone else. We have more understanding of, you know, the immensity of what it is to be a human being and the mystery of being a human being, the incredible opportunity it is to have all of our experiences and the opportunity to learn and grow about who we really are and what really matters from life itself. Yeah, yeah. Mm, wow. <laughs> We're diving in. <laughs> How delightful. How delightful. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, if there's anything else you want to say or wanted to speak about that we haven't touched on. Well, I think... To me, I always seem to talk a lot about um, divine providence because, I mean, for the human being and, and for human beings, it seems like uh, that survival thing is so strong and there's so much uh, learning and conditioning that goes into that. And then, like you said earlier, I think trust is actually the key for everything. It's, it, it allows us to surrender. It's not... Uh, it's not like we have to push something or force something. It just that it just grows, and to me, that's what my experience has been. Is that it's so many floods of miracles. Like it, it was like a, a big convincing job to convince me to let go of of concerns around survival, even uh, of the daily concerns that that are so heavily conditioned. And I find that no matter what I 
I call the retreats Undoing the Doer or Into the Mystic or whatever topics we go at, it seems like we get back to that core, like where someone's saying, sentimentally, I'm with you. I like the vibe of this, but here's some things that I just am dealing with on a daily basis. And I'm like, oh, let's go in to those and let's really face those and look at those inquiry. Let's use, use the moment to, to have inquiry. Is it really so? Is it really so? And then with that love and that compassion, uh, watching the faces light up, all of us light up when we discover uh, that we are, we are cared for, that we are carried, that that divine providence and grace is our inheritance. It's, it's, it's natural for us. It's not uh, pie in the sky. It's not just for the St. Francis and, you know, Mother Teresa. It's, it's real. Yeah. So one of the things I've, found you know i agree with you completely and that you know what really helps in cultivating trust is to allow space for our mistrust to get aired you know because i think mm-hmm. you know most people that i speak to they really want to trust but they find it difficult at times you know and i think we all know how that feels and so a question that i'm always giving to my students where which we practice in pairs you know like a repeating question It's what limits your capacity to trust the loving goodness underlying your life. Because so often we think of trust and we think of trusting another person. And we all know that, you know, human beings who aren't fully enlightened are limited in their trustworthiness. You know, they're not trying to be mean necessarily, but the degree to which any of us are caught in our defenses and our fears is going to limit our capacity to be loving and to be you know, kind and responsive to one another. And so it's not necessarily about placing our trust in the capacity of another to always be a certain way for us, because we all know that that might always, might not always be so, that there are limitations that we all have. And that's okay. But the trust we need is the trust in the fact that the pulse of life is beneficent that loving presence is very real. It is the foundation of everything. And, you know, to flush out our beliefs, our concerns, our felt sense that that's not so. And just to let it air out, let it detoxify with our friend in front of us just saying thank you to whatever it is that we say. You know, just letting it flush out until it flushes out. And then we can explore, you know, what's holding us right now. You know, and when we really stay in of inquiry, what's holding me now in this moment? Then we shift out of the past, and our mistrust is always about the past projected onto the future, of course. But when we deepen into the present with that line of inquiry, which our friend can help us to just stay with that, stay with that, stay with that, then we will see that there's so much holding us. There always has been. It might not be coming through the medium that you're expecting it to, but it's here. I mean, for example, when I was having to let go of everything and following guidance to come, I kept putting my key in my front door of my dream home in London that I was very attached to and hearing, this is no longer your life. This is no longer your home. This is no longer your marriage. This is no longer your country. This is no longer your life. And and I'm asking, okay, where, and I hear, Bay Area, 
North Bay. I didn't know anybody in the Bay Area, North Bay. I mean, try to get in, try to immigrate into the United States when you don't know anybody and you don't have a job. And, you know, that's a kind of a big thing. And yet, you know, all I had to do was ask and listen for everything and what was needed presented itself, you know, quite impeccably in a way that I couldn't have possibly orchestrated even if I tried. And so it taught me that there's so much more that's holding us, holding us in a loving way, trying to help us move in the direction that is ultimately for the best, that comes in surprising ways, like, I was not expecting so much love to come through complete strangers. I was expecting to come through people I knew, and often it didn't come through those people at all, in ways that were shocking and painful at times. And recognize sometimes I would experience this sort of wave of blessing coming up from the land, and I'd walk under a tree and a shower of blossoms would just spontaneously come down over me. And I, what was that? I started to experience like, a bird singing that would just like be piercing my heart to accept a kind of a, a level of sweet goodness that defied any linear or logical description, but that had that deep piercing through quality that brought online the felt sense, love is always present, always present in ways you might not even understand, but you can feel and receive. And so I think that's such an important thing that, you know, has continued to deepen. I mean, I would never have guessed 10 years ago that I would go on my morning walk up the hill behind my house and experience the rocks, the land that I'm walking upon, the trees, the birds, as just totally vibrating with nourishing love, just blessing me for that moment. But that is honestly my experience. It sounds like what's she on, but everyone. <laughs> yeah. And I know yeah. you and I, we want that for our students and yeah. people we meet, to, for them to have this, you know, to know it's available. Not, not that difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's like happy dreams come true, not because they're real, but because they're happy. <laughs> that's the that's the whole thing. Where it's like uh, like that mystical moment where everything's vibrating and and you just are fully experiencing it. But there's no uh, no sense of causation or no sense of otherness with it. It's just uh, so all inclusive and. I just love that you're sharing that because this this is, I think it's important to take something like you said, let's take mysticism off the pedestal. Let's take mysticism out of the closet. Uh, let's be truly 100% transparent because why would we want to be anything else? And I find when we have no private thoughts, no secrets to keep, nothing to hide, then what flowers, the, the fragrance, what comes from that is, is so exquisite. And it's so effortless. It's so natural. There, there's not any kind of, uh, of, of uh, having to do something for it or even to maintain it. It's just, it's just given. 
It is, and it's just what is. Like I was reading for years before the awakening in the cave, you need do nothing. Well, I consider myself a bit of a slow learner because that, that nice concept but didn't feel real. It felt like I had to do a bunch of things in order to be worthwhile, good enough, achieve peace, all that. And then finally, you know, all that drops in Ramana's cave and it's true. You don't have to do a single thing. Your being itself, your very being is love and peace and beauty. And it's dripping with nectar, actually. (laughs) Nothing to defend, there's nothing to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, David. This is just, wow. Thank you so much. It feels so fulfilling and it's so good. It's like uh, we're talking to ourselves and we're loving it. (laughs) Just loving every second. Yeah, you know, the the insights and the, the, the ways we experience and understand. And, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, those who are familiar with me and my teachings on grace, you know, will now learn about you and your beautiful book, This Moment is Your Miracle. And those who know you and love you will take a look at my beautiful book, The Way of Grace, The Transforming Power of Evil Relaxation. And may the truth and the beauty of what we're both sharing move deeper into the world for all to partake of. Yeah. 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 And this is an inspiration. Here I'm surrounded in a studio and, you know, we're always open to opportunities. We're open to collaborations. And, you know, I just felt like uh, the opportunity for us to share together would be such a blessing too, because it, it just, um, it just again shows what's there and what's possible. Uh, it's, I feel like with with our dialogue, it's just this, it's such a graceful use of words. I mean, I grew up in a context where my grandmother was so loving and so loved by so many people, and I remember one time she said, uh, "If you can't really improve on the silence with your words." You shouldn't really speak at all. And I feel the graceful use of words. This is, this is the, the value of words is the, and the expressions that we're sharing. This is serving such a high purpose, such a, a natural purpose. And I love that this is given as a demonstration and an example of, of what is possible. This is... If we're going to use Zoom, this is that we are zooming into the light right here with Zoom. Right. So thank you for bringing this up and and uh, you know being part of this. I feel very honored, actually, very very respectful and very honored to, to share this with you. Yeah, bless you and thank you, and all my love to your community. Yes, share this with Bob and your whole sangha. Thank you. I'll send my love.